It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome again. Matt Hausman, your host for Smart Money Questions Podcast. And today... What I am going to go over, and hopefully I can do this in a way where I can articulate it and you can understand what it is that we're doing. I'm going to actually take you through what we were able to do for a client that came on board with us almost seven years ago and kind of describe what we did year over year over year. Because many times I get the question, Matt, what does this planning thing look like? What exactly do you do? What does it look like on an ongoing basis for me as the client, and so I'm going to describe what that is. In addition, what we at Old Security and what the advisor is looking at, trying to recognize opportunities as they come about year over year, and quite frankly, as things change based on the first time that we meet and then year over year and what that looks like. So I just want to let everyone know that what I'm going to go through today, I'm going to talk in some cases, it's going to be a little general. But I think you'll kind of get the idea on what it is we're doing. I spoke to these clients and they're okay with it. Obviously, I'm not going to use their names. But I think it's important to recognize the opportunities that are around, especially based on, you guys hear me talk about it all the time, and that's the current tax rates and where they are, the current tax system. And depending on where you have your money, it could be very, very beneficial. So just to let you know, depending on how long I go, at least initially, on the first part, kind of describing where the person is or where the couple is at this particular time, and then where we're looking to get to, it might end up being a two-part series. So that would actually be my first. <laughs> so, so anyway, let's kind of jump into this. So met this couple way back in February of 2012, came to a workshop I did, and they came in and met with us. And when we first sat down, he was 64, she was 63. She was already, quite frankly, retired. And he was looking to retire at his full retirement age of 66. So a couple years out. When we looked at their assets, and many of you hear me always talk about first looking at where are we, where's our money at as how it's tax characterized. And what I mean by that is, you know, how much money do we have in qualified retirement type accounts, 401k, 403b, IRAs, et cetera? How much do we have in taxable accounts or after tax or non-qualified money we've already paid tax on, and now we're investing it in some form or fashion, even if it's a savings account, it could be a brokerage account, could be bonds, individual stocks, what have you. But the IRS looks at that as you've already created basis. So the only thing that you're going to pay tax on now is going to be the gain. And depending on what you're investing in and how long you hold it, it's going to be taxed at either a short-term capital gain or a long-term capital gain. So when we did this and we sat with them and kind of went over at least initially where their assets were, 82% of all of their assets outside of their homes were in tax-qualified retirement accounts. So just to go back over what that means, all of the money is either in their 401k, their IRA, some type of qualified retirement account, 82% of all of their money that they're going to look to use in retirement is in those type of accounts. 
qualified retirement accounts, 82%. 18% was in non-qualified or after-tax investments, and that was in the form of some savings bonds, some savings accounts, individual stock holdings. But as you can see, it's only 18% of their overall asset base. And then they had two homes. They had a primary home here, and they had a second home, vacation home that they had down south. So as we're talking and we're, okay, what do we want to do? What are your goals? Obviously, he wants to retire at full retirement age. They want to look at what Social Security opportunities are there. Now, I will let everyone know as a disclaimer, some of the things I'm going to talk about today for Social Security are no longer available. These were the rules back pre-2015 based on the Social Security rules before 2015. Today, these aren't available. But we're going to go through and talk about you know how could they maximize Social Security. They obviously did not want to run out of money. I always remember that she used to talk about the idea that I don't want to have to run out of income. I don't want to have to eat cat food. I always remember that one. They were looking, if possible, is there a way that they can lower taxes? Because after the workshop they'd been to that I had given, they understood that, wow, we've potentially got a big tax issue with all this money in retirement accounts. And then we kind of talked about what do they want to do in retirement? Well, they want to travel real big into nature, things like that, you know, kind of the typical things that we hear about in retirement. And so we look to really kind of define those. Like, when are you looking to do that? As soon as you retire at full retirement age? Are we looking to do that at a certain amount per year? Maybe take a couple big trips. What's that going to look like financially? And really kind of dive into what's the income need going to be? And many of you have heard me talk about this. What we have found is that people, when they come into retirement, their income need is usually a lot more than what they had initially thought it was going to be because of what I call the bucket list. The first five to seven, eight years of retirement are highly active, trying to check off the bucket list. You're wanting to travel if your kids aren't local to go see the kids, the grandkids. You're going to want to take some of those big trips, things like that. So we want to be able to at least as close as possible, get an idea on what those numbers are going to look like. And so the initial thing we did, we knew we had a couple years, is we actually took the IRAs or the 401ks and stuff like that, and we transferred those out, and we put them into five different buckets, so to speak. And each bucket had a different risk assessment to that. And the reason we did that is specifically about you know, trying to mitigate losses in our IRA accounts is really important. You know, I call it a double bump on the head. If I got to take money out of my account when it's down, first of all, that's not a good thing. Second of all, I'm going to have to pay tax on it. And just to clarify, so everyone knows, IRA money, when it comes out, is taxed as ordinary income. 100% of every dollar that comes out, including what you pay Uncle Sam, is reportable and taxable on your tax return. And so, you know, we did that for that reason. We kept the non-qualified money actually where it was. And part of that was we had individual stock holdings that had a large capital gain attached to it in the event we were going to move it. He was obviously still working. And so income was pretty high. And so we didn't want to go ahead and recognize that capital gain right now 
or at that particular time back in 2012. We didn't want to recognize it because the income was too high. Let's look at doing that later on when income could be lower. So that's kind of where we started. And then I get a phone call, a little frantic, at the beginning of December 2012. And what's happened is after being at this particular firm, I believe he was there 36 or 37 years, they were asking him to leave. They were kind of giving him, quite frankly, a pretty doggone good buyout as an early retirement package to say, see you later. So what they did is they forwarded that severance package over to me and we took a review of it. I looked at it and I said, well, there's a couple things that I'm concerned about. I think, you know, if you have a good relationship with them, I would go back and ask if they can take care of a couple things. And the most important thing was her health care until Medicare. What they were doing is essentially they were giving them COBRA. They were going to pay for the COBRA, but they were only going to do it until he turned 65. And then she was going to basically be left out to do something in between. And so they went back and they asked, and sure enough, the company went ahead and took care of paying her COBRA payment until she turned 65. So all of a sudden now, we weren't looking to retire for a couple years. Initially, it was going to be his full retirement age. So here it is now. It's only, what is it, seven, eight, nine months after meeting with them and starting the planning process is that he's forced into early retirement and it's going to be effective, boom, January 1. And so all of a sudden now, not only were we reviewing those documents, but we were looking at, okay, we have to start a distribution plan immediately. Let's go rerun the numbers. First of all, is it going to create any problems? Is it going to create an issue? Also, what opportunities are there? What can we now look to do because we've got an extra tax year, January 1 of 2013, we got another tax year. We can start looking at potential opportunities either on how we're going to distribute the money, where it's going to come from, qualified retirement accounts, capital gains. Are we going to turn on Social Security? What is that going to look like? And so what we did in 2013 at the beginning is we went ahead and we started IRA withdrawals. We went ahead, we looked at what their income need was going to be. We started taking money out of one of the buckets that we had put money in. Quite frankly, we had that money there with a time horizon on it of around six years. Now, we weren't expecting to withdraw it for a couple years, but the reality was the money was in a pretty conservative position and we were going to go ahead and start withdrawing it. So that's the first thing we did. We wanted to make sure that effective January 1, they were still going to have money to be able to pay the bills. The other thing we did is we reviewed the opportunity to start taking money out of the long-term capital gains that were there. And so that showed itself to be very viable. And so that is also another part of the income plan that we were doing. And so for the most part, January to December of 2013 was pretty common. I mean, it was just the money was coming out. They were enjoying retirement, things like that. Healthcare was already taken care of. And then in the fourth quarter of 2013, we went back and we looked at, okay, this is where the income is up to now. Let's look and see if there's any opportunities. And now we're going to project out. We're not just going to look at 13. We're going to look at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 to see what makes sense. Should we take more money out of the IRA? Should we look at possibly a Roth conversion. And in doing that, what we found was 
they could go ahead and spin down the IRA. It was going to create a tax event. But one of the things that we noticed was if we do do this now, is that we can create a situation that when that age of 70 and a half comes, and remember 82% of all of their money was in an IRA or that a qualified retirement account, we were looking to create a situation that the minimum distribution requirements that all of those type of accounts have is not going to create a long-term problem. And what I mean by that is sometimes, and I have clients that are like this, that the minimum distribution is so high that is coming out of their IRA type of accounts that not only are they paying a lot of tax, not only is their Social Security maxed out the taxability, 85% of it being taxable, but they're also paying a surcharge or what's called means-tested premium on top of their Medicare Part B. And so they're paying a higher amount than what everyone else does. So when we saw that, that made a lot of sense. And then looking at some of the other financial vehicles that they had, they had some old cash value life insurance policies. And so we kind of talked about what that money was in there for, what was their plan, what was the purpose. And the reality was there really was no plan. There was no purpose for it. And so what we did is we looked at what if we use a Roth conversion strategy utilizing the new, what I'll kind of call the hybrid life policies. And so in doing that, we converted a good chunk of money, and we were going to do this over a five-year period of time, and convert that money into a high-cash-value life insurance policy that had long-term care benefits attached to it. So maybe I'll do another podcast on exactly what that life insurance policy looks like. But the biggest thing for them and what we were planning for was that we now had coverage of long-term care. And all of the cash value that we were going to be putting in there, along with whatever was going to accrue over time, they could take out tax-free, very similar to how we put money into a Roth. We put money into a Roth with after-tax money, which means we don't get tax relief. It grows tax-deferred, and then upon distribution to us, there's no taxable cost to that. In addition, there's no minimum distribution. Well, this type of insurance works very similar in that the money goes in with after-tax investment or after-tax dollars. It's going to grow tax-deferred, and when they take it out to themselves as the owner, it's going to come to them tax-free. In addition, there's a secondary benefit that they're going to have long-term care coverage that's there. So we started doing that in December of 13, and the idea was to do that for five to six years. And these type of programs that we were doing, we can decide to put less in, but we can't put more in. So the IRS has certain rules, so we designed the programs around the IRS rules. And essentially, we created the max we would ever want to do. So what we did is we projected out income need and further withdrawal down. So we knew exactly what the tax cost was going to be. We're looking to make a dent into the minimum distribution requirements that we know are going to be happening when they turn 70 and a half, in addition, getting this extra benefit of long-term care. So we went ahead and we started that. Now from January to December of 2014, the very next year, essentially things were going to stay the same, but my client called me in April of 2014 and she was a little worried 
she had just got done doing her taxes and her accountant really was kind of on top of her. Like, what in the world are you doing? You're not taking Social Security. You're spending down your IRA. You're recognizing these capital gains. And oh, by the way, why did you take out such a big amount out of the IRA? So I went back through and had to explain not only to her, but to them as to what the reasoning was, what our long-term goal was in delaying Social Security and in creating a tax event now and what the benefit would be long-term. So long story short, after that conversation happened, we were going to go forward with our plan for 2014, which quite frankly was going to look very similar to what we did in 2013. We would reassess what that conversion opportunity or what taking money out and putting it into the life insurance was going to look like in 14, in probably November. And then we would make a decision at that particular time as to what that would look like. And so we did that. And actually what we did at the end of 14 was we ended up using some of the bonds that had accrued interest that hadn't been paid down yet. And they had already expired. And what that means is they're not earning any more interest. So we did a calculation on that. Okay, we're going to take money out of here. And then the balance is what we took out of the retirement accounts because those bonds were going to have to be recognized at some particular time. We might as well do it now because they're sitting there now dormant. They're not earning any interest. And so we went ahead, we did that. Now we're looking at 15. Now in 15, what the plan was when we got together at the end of 14 is moving forward now. And again, these are the old social security rules is that he was going to be able to do what's called a file and suspend. Long story short, that means he's going to go in, he's going to raise his hand to social security. Hey, I'm here, but don't send me my money. And in doing that, she was going to be able to follow up and go in and get a spousal benefit. Now, why are we doing that? Well, we're doing that because he's going to get a guaranteed growth rate on his Social Security. So currently, and back then, it's 8% delayed retirement credit as you delay year over year past your full retirement age. So he was going to get that, and she was going to be able to get a spousal benefit, which essentially is 50% of whatever his benefit would have been at full retirement age. So what do we do? Well, we got Social Security on the tax return now. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to lower our IRA withdrawals to meet the income need. We don't necessarily want to be taking more money out until we look at what that's going to look like at the end of the year. So we lowered what that was. We were still taking some long-term capital gains during that time because obviously the income that they're seeing is much less than when he was working. And that was kind of the plan for 2015. Initially, based on the Social Security planning we had done, they were going to be in that Social Security strategy, the spousal, until his age 70, and then boom, he would flip back over to his own, and then hers until 70, and then she would take hers. So, you know, I talked about this might be a two-parter. I think that's a great place to stop is at the end of 2015. So that is essentially three years ago as I'm recording this right now. So what's in place moving forward for 15 is a spousal social security benefit, reduced IRAs, and we're going to take a look at what that drawdown to put into the life insurance program would look like in the fourth quarter of 2015. So with that, I'm going to actually, you know, this is kind of like a soap opera, right? <laughs> You're going to have to wait until the next time, the next side thought to see how this whole thing shakes out. And I think 
you're going to be pleasantly surprised. So that's all I've got for today. Matt Hausman, smartmoneyquestions.com. If you've got a scenario or a question that you'd like for us to address, you can either go to smartmoneyquestions.com. There's a form there. Or simply email us at info at smartmoneyquestions.com. So that's all I got. We'll talk to you the next time. Everybody come back. Talk to you soon. Have a great day.